Hey, uh, go ahead and take the uh, study guide out of your worship folder, and uh, that way you can follow along with me today. And uh, again, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Steve, and we love teaching out of the Bible here at New Life Church. So that's what we're going to be doing today as we do every week. You are probably familiar with the genre of writing known as success literature or self-improvement literature or self-help. And uh, in recent years, there have been a bunch of books in that genre that have come out, and they all sound kind of similar. They have titles like Start With Why, or Find Your Why, or Know Your Why. And these books and others like them all point to the importance of, of people getting underneath the what's and the how's of their lives and digging deeper to discover their why. The underlying reason they're here, their unique mission on the earth. When someone discovers their why, these authors say, well then, they can live a more effective life. It's focused on maximizing their unique contribution to the world, as well as increasing their own joy and personal satisfaction in life. Well, I want to say that long before these modern writers began to espouse the, the virtues of people knowing their why, there was one who knew his why to a T. He lived it out to perfection every day of his life. He taught other people to do the same. This one, whom we love and worship around here, Jesus of Nazareth, claimed to have been sent from heaven to earth to fulfill a very specific why during his short life here on our planet, Jesus was so laser-focused on his why, his reason for being here, that he refused to allow anyone or anything to deter him or derail him from accomplishing that mission. And as a result, Jesus' contribution to this world, not to mention the next world, is viewed by millions of people as far surpassing what any other single individual could claim. Jesus knew his why. Now, as Alan said, this time of year, you're going to hear the word Advent, Advent, more than usual. And uh, it, it means, that word means coming. And it usually refers to that first coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago, that very first Christmas. And so as we enter the 2018 Advent season, we've decided to just kind of open up the biography of Jesus and look more closely at his why, why he came, why he came, and really to hear it in his own words. And when we ask that question, why did Jesus come, it's a question that, that Jesus himself answered in several different ways, depending upon the occasion and especially the audience, those he was talking to. But when I take all those recorded statements of Jesus and gather them up that speak to his reason for coming and, and put them all together, I would summarize it this way, and it's in the box there. Why did Jesus come? Well, he came, he said, to accomplish the will of his Father by completely fulfilling God's holy law, testifying to the truth about God, destroying the works of Satan, being the light in a dark world and calling lost people out of that darkness into a priority 
devotion to himself by seeking out and saving a special people and giving them his own abundant life. In his own words, that is why Jesus came, for that purpose, to accomplish that. And that's a pretty pregnant paragraph, isn't it? There's a lot in there. And in the upcoming weeks, we're going to break it down. But today, we're going to begin this new Advent series by focusing on that very first statement, which he made, which is found in John 6, 38, when he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. My food, he said, is to do the will of him who sent me, to accomplish his work. In John 5.30, he said, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then that incredible statement he made in the Garden of Gethsemane in prayer to his father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. These are Jesus' own words. Why did God the Son leave the glories of heaven 2,000 years ago to arrive on this earth wrapped in human skin as a little baby? What was his motivation? What was his intent? His why? He came to do his Father's will. And there is a lot contained in that little statement. But I want to focus on what I believe are the two main ideas that arise from this. And it's this. Jesus' submission and Jesus' mission. His submission and his mission. You know, when a person comes from another place, another country, and shows up here in our realm and says, I've come to carry out the directive of my superiors back home, we immediately recognize a few things. First, we understand that person to be here on a mission, right? On assignment. He's not just here to eat our food and drink our water and experience our culture. He may do those things, but what he's telling us is that he's here to represent another realm to us. He's an ambassador, and he has a stated agenda for being here. There's an objective he tends to achieve while he's here. And when he completes that objective, he's going to get on a plane and head back home, right? Back to where he's from. We get that. We understand that an ambassador is here on a mission, on assignment. And second, when an ambassador from another country shows up here, we also recognize that the agenda that he comes with is not his own agenda. If he's an honorable ambassador, that is. A good ambassador has set aside whatever personal agenda he may have had to go see Mount Rushmore, to meet an American girl and marry her, or whatever. No, all of that is subjected to the primary mission that he's been tasked with, which was assigned to him by his superiors back home, by the one or the ones who sent him here. And so we understand this second truth, that an ambassador comes... On mission, on mission. So in submission and on mission. Jesus, of course, was heaven's ambassador to earth, right? He was from there, but came here. And for 33 years, he represented another realm to this realm. He showed God to humanity 
He brought the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. And so he was here on assignment, on mission, as an ambassador to accomplish, to do the will of the one who sent him. I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking about Jesus' mission and and how that assignment came to him, how that got handed to him. There, There had to be some kind of conversation, right, in eternity past between the Father and the Son. And I wonder how that went. I have no idea, actually, but maybe, speculating here, maybe it went something like this, from the Father to the Son. Son, my beloved Son, it is my will that you leave your home here in heaven for a time, that you temporarily lay aside your divine prerogatives that you've enjoyed for eons and that you traverse time and space and go down there to that little dot. I'm sending you to a tiny village in a remote region on that little dot. And I'm not sending you as you are. I'm not sending you as a full-grown human, but I'm sending you as an infant, a baby. Furthermore, your arrival into that world will be under a cloud of suspicion and scandal as my plan calls for you to be born to a virgin girl who's never been intimate with a man. Son, you will arrive in what they call the Middle East down there. Born into a Jewish peasant family of little standing, you'll grow up in that family and you will learn your father's trade. As you mature, you'll be misunderstood and resented by your siblings and by the townspeople as well. But you will live in such a way as to reflect our very nature. And in doing so, you will fulfill everything that my law requires of human beings, and you will be everything that my prophets down there ever predicted. And at the human age of 30, son, you're going to be baptized by your cousin in the Jordan River. You're going to be anointed with our Holy Spirit, and then immediately you will be tested by our enemy. And then having demonstrated to him your true identity, you will enter into ministry. My plan calls for you to announce yourself publicly right there in your hometown, but you're going to be ridiculed and derided as a self-promoting grandstander. Nevertheless, as your ministry progresses, you will judiciously use your divine power to heal certain people who are afflicted with infirmities. You will even raise some from the dead as a preview of our coming kingdom. You'll have mercy on the afflicted, and you'll teach about my kingdom while also confronting the religious system and those who are perpetuating it. At first, you will gain great popularity, and you'll gain a following, but then you will lose most of that, but you will persevere in your ministry, and after three years, you will be falsely accused and subjected to a humiliating series of trials, but it is my will that you submit to this without retaliating. And then you will be executed like a criminal, all the while saying nothing in your own defense, but going as a lamb to the slaughter. And I will place the sins of the entire world upon your suffering body and soul. Indeed, it is my will that you become sin and drink the full cup of my holy wrath to the bitter dregs 
Once your payment for sin is fully made, I will raise you up from the dead, give you a new glorified body, bring you back up here to be right next to me, and we will continue our work together on that little planet in partnership with all those who will entrust their lives to you and receive our spirit until all of our people join us in this new heavenly city that we're going to build together. This is your assignment, my son. This is my will. This is my plan. I know in many ways it will be excruciating for you, but the ultimate outcome will be marvelous. And it's all because of love. And evidently, Jesus heard something like that and said, Yes, Father. Yes, it will be as you say. It is in my heart to do your will. Two things are very apparent to me. Jesus was sent here on a mission from his father, and Jesus came here in submission to his father. Mission and submission. Have you ever wondered when it first dawned on Jesus as a young man, whenever he first came to the realization that this was his lot, that he was actually here on a divine mission? We're not exactly sure when it first occurred to him, but we do know he had a good beat on it by the time he was 12, right? Because he looked at his parents on that day and he said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And he wasn't talking about his latest project in the carpenter shop. I'm here on the business that my heavenly father gave me. So he knew it by age 12. Let me ask you, how many of you have a desire to be like Jesus? I do. A lot of us do, right? I want to be like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. Just this week, one of my friends said to me, Steve, I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And I know that passion resonates with a lot of us. We want to represent Jesus well, don't we, as his people in this world. We want to be like Jesus to those around us. And and this is God's plan because in 1 John 4, 17, it says, as he is, so also are we in this world. As Jesus is, so also are we in this world. God calls his people to live their lives on this earth like Jesus did. But here's the thing. That's not going to happen for you, and that's not going to happen for me until we do two things. And the first is to adopt the spirit of submission that Jesus had. Adopt the spirit of submission that Jesus had. You know, there are some ways that you're never going to be like Jesus. You can't walk on water like he did. You can't calm the wind and the waves by speaking to it like he did. You can't create food or straighten crooked bones or raise people from the dead or speak to a tree and watch it shrivel up like he did. There's certain ways that because we're not God, we cannot be like Jesus. But listen, there is a way you can be like Jesus. You can adopt the mindset of Jesus Christ. You can do that, and I can do that. You can embrace his attitude, his outlook. You can adopt the spirit of submission that Jesus had. Let's talk about submission for a moment. 
don't you just love to submit? I mean, aren't you just coming out of your chair right now with motivation like, yes, tell me more about submission, Steve. Reality is that submission is an evil, nasty, repugnant word in our culture, isn't it? It brings up images, images of being steamrolled, being dominated, being bulldozed. You think of submission, you think of someone who's weak, who's always caving in, who's a doormat, letting other people walk all over them. That's what comes to many people's minds when they hear the word submit. And you're thinking, if that's what being like Jesus is all about, count me out, you know? For many reasons, submission has gotten a bad rap because many a boss, many a husband, church leader, many a government official has abused the concept, used it as a sledgehammer to enforce their will on somebody else. And stories abound, right? There's no shortage these days of stories of people in powerful positions subjecting other people to their will and their whims and demanding that they submit. But you know what? God's word, the Bible, never tells God's people to put somebody else into submission, to put them into subjection, but it does call us to submit ourselves. In the scriptures, it's almost always in the middle or passive voice. We are called to be like Jesus in voluntarily submitting ourselves, first to God and then to others. Listen to the word which says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, James 4, 7. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Or how about this popular verse, Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Or Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject or be submissive to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We're speaking of church leaders. Look at Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Listen, there is no doubt that the Bible teaches that there is a created order of things, an authority structure designed right into the fabric of the universe. Authority and submission are actually found within the Holy Trinity itself. Did you know that? Remember what Jesus said? I came to do his will. And so this flows from the heart of our creator and who established it in this world for our benefit. This structure, this authority and submission is for our benefit to provide order and boundaries and safety and protection. And so when scripture declares that God himself has a position of authority over our lives that we're called to submit ourselves to, that is a good thing actually for us. And when it tells us that God has also delegated some authority to, to human leaders and institutions and that we're called to submit ourselves to them as well, that too is meant for our good. Whether it's the authority structure in marriage or of parents with their children or the civil authority of government or the spiritual authority delegated to church leaders, adopting a submissive spirit to those in authority is actually a positive good thing, and it's like Jesus. 
in preparing, I couldn't get out of my mind that scene where Jesus is standing before Pilate at his trial. Talking about the second person of the Holy Trinity standing before this ruler, and Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, don't you know that I have the power to destroy your life? (laughs) I could just wonder if Jesus is thinking, don't you know that I made you? And I have the power to reduce you to a pile of ashes with a word if I wanted to? But he didn't. Unimaginably, the second person of the Holy Trinity submitted himself to human authority. When humanly speaking, it made no sense to do so. You want to be like Jesus? Adopt the submissive spirit to authority that Jesus has. Submission, what does it mean? It means placing your will underneath someone else's will. It means setting aside my agenda and placing another person's agenda above my own agenda. It means prioritizing their wants, their desires. It's saying to God or to somebody else, what I want is what you want. What I want most is what you want. Just tell me what you want and I will gladly do it. We all just love submitting, don't we? And listen, while authority has been established in several arenas of life, look at this from Ephesians 5. Submitting to one another. How about that? Not just leadership. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I wonder how our marriages might take on a different tone if we adopted that and our families and our churches. How would our nation be different if we all followed this principle presented here in Ephesians as a fruit of being filled by the Holy Spirit, submitting to one another? Might there be more peace in our homes? Might there be more harmony in our marriages? Might there be less agitation and anger in our relationships and in our hearts? We could learn to submit to one another. So my wife and I have devised a little rating system for helping us know how and when to submit to each other, like it says here. And it's helped to reduce some tensions that we've had in our marriage. And you say, you're a pastor, you have tensions in your marriage? Yes, everybody does. If you don't, I worry about you. Yes, there is an authority structure in marriage, as unpopular as that notion has become. Yes, as the husband, I bear the final responsibility before God for the health of our marriage, the health of our family. Yes, the buck stops with me when it comes to major disagreements over a decision. But in my experience and in my judgment, 95% of the decisions, maybe more, in marriage are not of sufficient importance to warrant an appeal to authority. To have to play the authority card. I believe that. And so Shirley and I have come up with this little system that works for us in most situations. It's a little numbering system. And so, you know, I might say to her, hey, honey, on on this one, on this decision right now, I'm about a I'm about a three. Ah, 3.5. I'm about a 3.5 on this one. Where are you at? And she'll think about it and think, you know what, I'm about a, an 8 on this, an 8 or a 9 on this one. This one matters a lot to me. 
I say, well, okay, then your 8 trumps my 3.5, so, so we'll go with what you want. We'll order the tour of Italy again, <laughs> which is a reference to an Olive Garden dish. See how that works? And this has really helped us a lot. Now, it takes some self-restraint to not be a 10 on everything, right? Oh, I'm a 10 on that. Oh, I'm a 10. I'm a 10. I'm a 10. Not everything's a 10 in terms of our intensity of feeling about something. And it takes some maturity to submit, to defer, to not get my way all the time. So it's still a hard issue no matter what. In fact, submission, listen, submission is always a hard issue. Always a heart issue. In my 30 plus years of being in ministry, I have known a number of Christians who somewhere along the way stalled out in their spiritual growth. They just stalled out. They stopped growing. And in so many cases, this was the sticking point right here, submitting. They were just stubborn and headstrong and just could not bring themselves to submit to God, to leadership, to other people. And as a result, their, their growth was stunted. They just had this rebel streak in them, this independent spirit that resisted yielding to the authorities in their lives that drove them to fight to get their way all the time. With some of those people, it was submitting to God. That was, the, that was the issue. They just were not willing to submit to God in some area of their life, like in their sexuality. They just weren't willing to submit to God. And their spiritual growth stalled out. Or in their work, how they lived their life at work, they weren't willing to submit to what God says about that. Or in how they viewed their money. It's like, this is my money. Or their time. Some people stalled out in their walk with God because they refused to submit to God. With other people, it wasn't so much God, or at least on the surface, but it was a stubborn refusal to submit to other people, usually to leadership. You know anybody like that? These people had their own ideas about things, and if they were to yield, they felt diminished and weakened. Because they really couldn't see it. They were blind to it. They just never really dealt with it. And as a result, they just stopped making progress in their, in their journey with Christ. They stalled out. They didn't get further. So sad when this happens. I, I'm, I'm telling you this. An unyielding, independent, rebel spirit will always do damage to your spiritual life. It always will. Whenever I hear somebody say, well... Well, thanks for that, but I like to do things my own way. My heart sinks because there's something off there. There's something out of alignment. There's a chamber of that person's heart that has not yet been fully submitted to Jesus. Who said, not my will, but yours be done. That was his mindset. And I know we have questions about this. You know, does this mean that I should never assert myself, that I should never put forth an opinion. Do I always have to let everybody else go ahead of me in line? I'll never get in if I live this submission life that you're talking about. No, no, no. Here's what it means. It means as you approach every situation in life, you're saying in your heart, God, you know better than me. 
you know better than me. You know the future. Your way is better. I've seen it. I have a track record of history with you, God. Your way has proven to be better. I want what you want in this conversation, in this situation, in this decision. And I want to honor the human authorities that you've placed over me for my safety and my protection. I want to trust you to work through them to do what's best for me. So show me, God, how you want that to look, how you want that to play out right now in this situation. That's a yielded, submissive spirit to God. Does that make sense? So you want to be like Jesus? Then I challenge you to adopt the spirit of submission that Jesus had. Not my will. Not my will, but your will be done. And then I would offer this. When you've learned to submit to God, when that becomes your posture, when that becomes your disposition, your inclination to submit to God, then you're in a better place, number two, to embrace the sense of mission that God has for you like he had for Jesus. You see, I believe being in submission will bring more clarity to your mission, your why. Think about it. I mean, just think about this. Why would God give a a significant kingdom assignment to someone that he's pretty sure is just going to go out and do their own thing? Do what they want to do. Why would God entrust his mission to a rebel? That would be poor judgment, wouldn't it? And poor stewardship on God's part, things that God is not known for. No, it says in the Bible, his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are perfect towards him, who are submitted to his will, his plan for their lives. Those are the people he entrusts clarity of mission to. And let's be honest. Part of God's training plan for us, for his people, is to form this in us, to form this submissive spirit in us. And so he puts us through things in this training regimen that have the potential to help cultivate that kind of spirit. He puts us in situations to help cultivate cultivate this spirit of submission. And when we cooperate with him in this, then we will be the ones that he sends forth on mission as his ambassadors, just like he did with Jesus. And even in that cooperation with God, there is submission, isn't there? Can I just look at you today and say, you were meant for more in this world than to just take up time and fill up space and consume resources while you're here. You were meant for more than that. Or as one man said, you are more than primordial scum. Much more than that. You're not an accident. Here by chance, randomness. There is a plan and a purpose and a design for why you are here. God has sent you here on mission, on assignment for him from another realm. As he is, so also are we in this world. You are here on a mission from God. Hope you get that. If your heart has been softened towards him, you're submitted to his will first above your own will. He just might let you in on that. He just might direct your steps to fulfill his great mission for you in this world.
And so let me ask, do you know what your mission is? Do you know what your why is that's underneath all the what's and how's of your life? Do you know what's underneath that? Your mission is is that unique way that God has in mind for you to partner with Him, with Him and His ongoing mission in this world. And if I know anything, I know this. Your mission, your designated mission in this world has to do with people. Not with accumulating stuff. It has to do with people and with influencing other people towards Jesus somehow in some way that fits your personality and your ambitions and your passions and your gifts. There are some people in this church body who live their lives with such amazing intentionality. It inspires me. Such effectiveness. And it's because, because, like Jesus Christ himself, they have come to know their why. They know why they're here, why God has them here on the planet. They've embraced it. No, they didn't leave heaven to come here. No, they can't die on a cross for anybody's sins. That was unique to Jesus' mission. But they have their own unique way that was designed into their personality and into their ambitions and experiences and gifts. They have their own unique way of pointing other people to the one who did die for their sins. And rose again. A few weeks ago, I had lunch with uh, a young dad in our church. And uh, as we talked, it became very apparent to me that this young man is very clear on his why. He kind of laid it all out for me. He'd prayed over it, identified it, put words to it, refined it, tested it with other people. And he had landed firmly on his God-given assignment in this world. And he told me, he said, Steve, knowing my why and embracing it helps me to know what to say yes to in life and what to say no to in life. You see, when you know your mission, you come to understand the things that contribute to that and the things that don't help it at all. And it helps you to say, know what to say no to. It helps him prioritize his daily activities. It shapes his conversations with people. It guides his marriage relationship. It helps him in his parenting of his young children. It gives meaning to his relationships at work. And I know of many people in this church and some outside of this church who have been influenced toward Jesus through this guy's life and his ministry. And it was refreshing for me, to have a conversation with somebody who seemed grounded in his unique purpose for being here, who understands the why that's underneath all of the what's and the how's of his life. And I ask you, wouldn't it be great to live your life like that? I mean, wouldn't it be great to know your mission for God? I'm telling you, there's great joy to be found in embracing that sense of mission like Jesus did and like Jesus had. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brothers. You say, wait a second, I thought he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yes, he was that in certain situations of his life, but there was an underlying, undergirding joy that Jesus had above others Because he knew why he was here, and he knew why he was sent from God, and he knew his why. 
So as we finish today, I, I really want us to make this personal. And I've done this, and I, I want to ask you to do a little assessment of yourself. And specifically in these two areas of submission and mission. Because we can learn from Jesus on this. And so on the back side of your notes, there, there, are, um, there are a couple of boxes there. You see those? And I'm going to ask you to take a moment and consider these questions that are in those boxes and perhaps even write a few things down here because I've been praying that God would speak to you throughout this sermon and in this moment. Let's take the submission box first, right? Because submission precedes mission. Here's a question that if you find yourself not wanting to answer, is there a rebel streak in me or an independent spirit in me that Jesus is showing me he wants to tame? How would you answer that? How would the people who live with you and work with you answer that? How about this one? What authority do I most chafe under? Is it work? Is it your boss at work? Oh, I just... Is it government authorities? Is it spiritual leadership? Is it the authority that God has set up in your home, in your marriage? What authority do you chafe under the most? Name it. And then this, what specific area of life is the Lord calling me to more fully submit to him or yield to others in? Think about that for a moment. And then mission. Mission, to what extent do I live my life with intentionality, with purpose, on mission? Give yourself a 1 to 10 rating there. Is it like 1, not at all? I just kind of wander and meander through life. 10 is, I know why I'm here. I know why God has me here. And I seek to live in alignment with that just about every day. What could my next step be in getting clear on my why? And, and usually that's getting with God and getting with somebody else. And processing that through. What, what's your next step in getting clear on why God has you here? And to build on that, how about this? As best I understand, the mission that God has me on these days is what? Do you know it? Can you put words to it? I think God has me here right now in this place at this time for this. It's a good exercise. So you want to be more like Jesus? I do. Then make his motto in life your own motto. Not, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Before I pray for you, I, I'd like to to know this from you. How many of you would, would lift your hand and say, Steve, there was something in there for me today. God is putting his finger on something in my life that I need to respond to. Please pray for me. How many of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, that's true of me? Many, many, many of you. Thank you for that. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, first off, thank you 
Thank you for have pur- having purpose and intentionality about this earth and this world and having a plan. Thank you for sending Jesus to come and rescue us and save us from ourselves and our sins and from, from judgment. Jesus, thank you for submitting to the Father's will. I mean, if you'd, if you'd heard all that and said, no, I'm out, I'm opting out, we would not be here today. We would not have eternal life. We wouldn't have forgiveness. We wouldn't be in a church. We, we wouldn't have a church family. We wouldn't have hope of heaven and a forever future with you. None of that would be in play if you hadn't said yes. So we worship and praise you for being submitted to your Father's will. And I pray for my friends here in this room today. And I pray for myself because there's a bit of an independent streak in me. There's a bit of a rebel spirit in me. And so often I just want to do what I want to do. And Lord, I pray that you would expose that to each and every one of us because you love us. And bring it up to the surface so that we can see it. and How ugly it is and that we could repent of it, Lord. And turn to you. Give us the grace to submit to you and to the human authorities you've put in our lives. That's that's the rub for people, many people in this room right now, Lord. I pray they would hear clearly your call to submit. And then, Lord, send us on mission. Lord, some of us have been wandering around aimlessly in life with no clear sense of purpose or mission. We don't understand our why, and you want that to change. I pray today would be a catalyst for that, a starting point for for conversations and reading and and prayer, Lord, that you're going to use to clarify mission in people's lives. Do it for Jesus' sake, that he might receive the full reward for his suffering, that we might have your joy in our hearts. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.